Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, folks. Happy Thursday. Um, we have Kevin Allen on board, and we're going to talk a number of things uh, you know, some for, about some games from last night and other league issues. Uh, I want to start with, you know, I saw online on Twitter this morning that it's, quote, pie day since it's uh, March 14th, 314, you know, uh, the, the, the mathematical equation pie. They have, to, they have to come up with something for every day. I, just, it, I, I never heard of this until like a year ago, and I think it's a promotion for companies that make pies. But I just figured it's like, okay, what is your favorite pie? Because everybody, ha- I think everybody has one. I don't think anybody out there doesn't have a, a particular pie that they don't like. Peter, oh, you first. Yeah, here favorite? we go. This is my wife's late grandmother from grandmother's pie, who's she was from Oklahoma. She had a huge southern drawl. Okay. And Nana's pecan pie was insane. And luckily, my wife's sister sort of carried the torch on that. Mm-hmm. That hands down my favorite favorite pie. Pecan pie is very good. My mom makes it, and I think it 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 almost puts me on the border of diabetic coma when she makes yeah, it. Yeah, it, it can border over over. It can be overly sweet. It depends. Yeah, and you use corn. You use caro syrup or corn syrup or whatever. Yeah, it's just you know. But uh, Kevin, what about you? Oh man, that that is a layered question. Uh, <laughs> like uh, you know. I'm a pie guy, you know, although, although, you know, I've sort of heard uh, people suggest that pies are on the endangered species list, that what? You know, that it's kind of gone the way, uh, you know, when I was growing up in the 60s, like you had pie at least once a week, yeah. like that was just a staple, you know, your mom or your grandmother, somebody would bake a pie and just right. would appear on your table at some point once a week. And, you know, now because of the health, the issues were also health conscious that you you know cakes and pies if you used to go in your grocery store there used to be an entire row of of yes. uh, cake mixes and now it's just a little corner because people are doing the same thing with pies like they just don't eat people don't eat as many pies as they did before so i i ate chocolate pudding pie last night I well that, that they get, that's why you know i say it's a layered answer in the traditional pie sense yes. i'm a cherry pie guy I mean, I like cherry right. pie. Cherry pie is great. Now, I will eat pretty much any pie you put in front of me, but <laughs> that, that is problematic. That is problematic. Yes. But so I like cherry pies. But if you start to get into the cream and the yes. variety pies, you know, then I'm a chocolate uh, uh, French silk pie guy. I'm a banana cream pie guy. Lime. Um, I like key lime a lime a lot. Yeah, key lime. Like I, you know, I like all those. I mean, it's, you know. <laughs> I running joke with my family when I was a kid is I used to say, you know, we're Allens, we deserve pie. (laughs) So whenever we'd go out for dinner, my kids would always say, you know, we're Allens, Dad, we deserve pie. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Ross, what about you? You know, ultimately, my favorite probably is apple pie. Just the the basic, simple apple pie, no raisins. You know, put put a thing of whipped cream on it, no Cool Whip. You know, real whipped cream on it, and, and I'm good. You heat it up, 
put a little ice cream if you want. You want to get yeah. crazy. And and that's really hard to beat. The apples and the ice cream, when you heat it up, there's like this chemical reaction that it's impossible not to like it. It just is. I, I love a good apple pie. And the funny thing is what, what Kevin said, it, it should be – more easy it should it's more it's easier to make a pie now i mean my mom used to make you know pie pie crust by scratch and you know and and that that was a laborious process but now you've got these pre-made pie uh shells that are in the supermarket and they're not great but they're okay you can yeah. it's a lot easier to, to make a pie but i think you're right because people are you know because diabetes is uh is prevalent and and People are shying away from sweets. You know, they don't make them as much. I like. I love apple pie. Uh, calm yourself, Russ. I like pumpkin pie, but only um, like during, you know, like Halloween uh, and Thanksgiving, the fall season. I I love lemon pie, but I hate lemon meringue. I hate the meringue. I really hate it. They hate the taste and the consistency. Really, you don't like lemon meringue. I like I, I I like lemon pie with like whipped cream on top or lemon yeah. chiffon pie, not lemon meringue pie. It's it's just it, the meringue does something to me. I just don't and, like. And, it. and the meringue's actually you know lower fat than a lot yeah. of other. It's, it's, it's whipped like, egg whites. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to even consider that someone could work up a hate for meringue. I mean, right. it's so non, <laughs> like it barely exists. You know. Can I say? Like I won't eat blueberry pie. I'll just give it back to you. Like I just I wouldn't eat that. Yeah, I mean, but I like the cream pies though. Banana cream, well, coconut cream. I, I just don't. I just can't come up with a pie that I wouldn't eat. Uh, you know, maybe my grandmother used to make mincemeat pie. Yeah, I was gonna oh. say. About a hundred and fifty yeah. years ago, but I, I, you know, I, I, I remember it, but just vaguely. I'm not sure I would eat that, but, um, and I, I have had sweet potato pie. Yeah. Um, which Even just, I'll eat a sweet potato pie. It just reminds me basically of pumpkin pie. Yeah, it's very similar to pumpkin yeah, pie. I, yeah. I I have never had peach cobbler, but I I, I would I would oh, try good. it. You've never had a peach cobbler? I've never had a peach cobbler. No. Wow. I'll tell you, if, if if you want the uh, best of the peach cobblers, you got to go to Amish country. Like okay, yeah, you Amish country, you need a peach cobbler or even an apple cobbler. Like you're yeah, it's, it is a very distinctive. Uh, what's, the, what's the difference between a cobbler and a pie? Like what? 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 what well, the top is like divided top, top down. It's it's like a convertible. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, just one other thing. Then we'll start the show. Um, it came out yesterday. I think it was Ken Rosenthal of the Athletic mentioned the some of these changes uh, that are going on in baseball that for people like me who have followed baseball since I was, you know, less than 10 years old. I mean, I'm really irked by, you know, changing the DL to what is it? The IL now. And it's the injured list rather than disabled yeah. list. But yeah. now they're changing the trade deadline. You had the waiver, the waiver and the non-waiver trade deadline. You had July 31st and August 31st. And now they're eliminating the August 31st deadline and having one, deadline and it's going to be staying in july 31st and i thought russ what you said is and it makes a lot of sense there are like teams are going to have to make moves with what about 50 55 games left yeah, in the regular the season game. it's almost going to be directly after the all-star game it's crazy yeah it should i mean if they're going to if they're going to mold both of them together then they should put the date at say august 15th august 15th is a perfect date 
Yeah, instead, now now teams are really going to have to make a decision on whether they're dumping or not, whether they're, you know, whether, you know, whether they have uh, issues that they need to address or they can address them internally. And honestly, it's like if you have an injury in, on August 2nd, you know, you're screwed in, in baseball. If it's like a, if you lose yeah. a starting pitcher, at least, you know, there would be starting pitchers in the current system where they get they clear waivers because of salary or something like that. You can go out and pick up that guy. Now you can't. So I, I think this is stupid. I'll give you one more that I like, one more I don't like. I do like the million-dollar bonus for the home run derby. That makes sense, especially to get young players in there because a young player could use a million bucks. Clearly a guy who's making $15 million a year probably doesn't care but a young player would do it. So I think that would keep that going. The thing that I don't like is the three batter minimum. And I'll tell you why, not because it's going to put like, you know, Jerry Blevins out of work because he's a one batter lefty, sometimes two. What I think it's going to do is move forward the trend of starting games with relievers, because if you've got three good starters, why am I going to have a guy in the bullpen? If he's literally going to pitch once a week, three batters, I might as well use them at the beginning of a game when I know that but my last two starters aren't that good and use a couple of those guys and then put someone in for like four or five innings to bridge the gap. And I hate that, and I think more of it's going to happen now. I, I just saw a great uh, article, uh, mm -hmm. the best um, analysis of the whole uh, relief pitcher uh, problem that we have in baseball. And he basically proved statistically that uh, getting rid of the um, – you know, one batter reliever is not going to alter uh, the issue in baseball, which is the constant change of relievers. He actually had stats in there. You know how long it takes to change a pitcher during an inning? This surprised me. Three oh, minutes. What part of me? Three minutes. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's three three out three minutes and change. It's okay. like just a guess. Yeah, three three twenty five. Wow. I thought it would have been closer to five or six minutes. Right. Okay. That's it's like an eternity when you're you know trying to watch it. Right. And they change uh, pitchers four times. But, um, you know, basically his, his suggestion was if we really want to alter the issue, which is is that it's hard to watch a baseball game now from the sixth inning on because they're constantly changing pitchers um, and you, you kind of lose attention, especially young uh, young people who don't seem to have the same attention span uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, older folks have. He, he just basically said we got to go down to 10 – a pitcher limit on and on your uh, roster 25 man rosters but you can only have 10 pitchers and that will force everyone to stay longer with pitchers and and, and right now they're capping them at 13 I, yeah, from, yeah. from what i understand they're they're expanding the the, the roster to 26 players right, and it, right. It, it, but they're capping it at 13 pitchers right so right. and you know i mean i guess if you want to eliminate the specialist that's well, fine yeah, the specialist is going to be gone. I'm telling you, I think the specialist now is going to move to the beginning of the game. I really well, do. I well, think it'll be the setup and the closer, and now you're going to have that beginning guy with more teams. I just, I, I just, I fear that. Well, and uh, he brought up one. He would do. He would go to 25 man roster, 10 um, pitcher limit. But just like in hockey days, you'd have an emergency pitcher that could be in the stands. I like that. Yeah, and and it, you basically bring a guy, and he, you know, he doesn't dress, he's not there, but if he gets in one of those games, it gets out of hand. You can bring in the emergency pitcher uh, to come in and, and and play, and you know, I I think that would actually help. I mean, I it would be fun to see 
uh, starters stretch out their arms a little bit. You know, when, well, would you like to see him go longer than you know five innings plus? You know, well, Russ, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna apply for the emergency pitcher in Toronto. I'm a lefty and I throw a good screwball. <laughs> you are a good screwball. There's no question. Nobody would argue that. There you go. Uh, hello, hockey world. Today is Thursday, March 14th. 2019. Uh, I'm Peter Tessie in balmy Winnipeg because it's warm out. <laughs> I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. Spring is sprung. It's like 61, 62 and sunny. I'm Kevin Allen of USA Today in Michigan. Right now it's sleeting. In oh, you poor guy. Yeah. And I'm Michael Agello and I'm freezing my butt off and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Um, all right, we'll start with the games from yesterday because – Kevin, over the last couple of days, Ack has regaled us with the uh, the thought that the Edmonton Oilers were still mathematically uh, in it, uh, and that, <laughs> that, that he's not here to defend himself. That died. That that di I'll send him the link to this. That died a quick death last night when they lost six three at the hands of the New Jersey Devils, which is basically the what Albany Devils or Binghamton Devils. I mean, it, there's not many. NHL players because of injury on that roster. And I checked in and out of this game. And even Eck last night in our mutual text said, I didn't know that the, uh, the, the Oilers were this bad. And I'm like, you haven't been listening to us. Right. They are this bad. Well, to, to me, the big story of last night is I woke up this morning and the Arizona Coyotes and Carolina Hurricanes are both in playoff spots. Yep. Now, good gosh, when was the last time that happened? That's a long time. Yeah, yeah, they're both in playoff spots, and boy, it would be dynamic for all of them. Like if they could ever get the Oilers, the Hurricanes, and the Coyotes in the playoffs at the same time, boy, that would that would really be a story. But I do want to go back to Edmonton just for a sec, though, because the buildup on that game was, well, look at the, you know, you've got Connor McDavid, he's, He's going to get 100 points. you got Leon Dreisaitl. He's going to get 50 goals. Yeah, that's great. But that's not a hockey team. And it's proven in this era it's not enough. And they don't even have a good enough offense to outscore teams. And Koskinen and Nett is not going to be a stalwart or a stopgap to get you to the playoffs either. I think they're going to find that out too. This team, I don't want to say they're in trouble, but I'm telling you they took two steps back. And now this team is really at a point where you can't tear it down anymore because they already were torn down. Right. You really look at it and say, all right, we've got to make some more trades. We've got to make some more improvements. We have to bring up guys and keep them up here like Yamamoto and guys like that for next year. We, Because Bakersfield's doing great. So to me, they're going to have to have more of Bakersfield in Edmonton of less in, and less of Edmonton in the NA, on the NHL roster. Well, go ahead, Peter. You know, if someone, if fixing the Oilers was going to be easy, it would have been done by now. And mm -hmm. I think that's, I th and Russ, it's not that you're wrong. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, right, right. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, is that there have been so many attempts to fix this team that, and it's, it's, it's been getting it wrong each time. And, if you're Keith Gret or well, who knows who, who? If you're Bob Nicholson, figure who your GM is first. Right. First, the GM needs to convince you that they have a plan and the timelines they believe it to to be in place. And if Bob Nicholson 
if that doesn't fit within what Bob Nicholson via Daryl Cates wants, mm -hmm. you should fold the franchise because anything that comes, anything that comes from the top of this organization is basically, it, 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 it's, it's putrid. It, yeah. it, and, and, and you have to go, you have to hear something from the outside because your way of doing something doesn't work. And to get to where I'm going with this, to Russ's point, is that this isn't just about bringing up some of Bakersfield. This is about having a development process that works in the Oilers organization at the NHL level that right. supports players, that helps these young guys in all capacities of what being a professional is and gives them training, resources, video, tutorial, diet, everything. You've got to strip down everything away from what Hitchcock and the GM are doing from player management and, and, and things, because you clearly can't figure out a way to get out of the mess you're in. Well, so to bring it up, it's to do what Russ says, but you can't feed these guys to the wolves anymore. Like they've yeah. been fed for 10 years. Yeah, that's like Ron Hextall. Ron Hextall would be able to do that for them. But, right? but, to, go, but to, to go along with this, and I want to get Kevin's uh, input on this. I mean, really... Because I've heard a lot of talk about Edmonton looking at what the Leafs did in the, over the last few years and, and sort of mimicking that. That, A, would take a lot of financial investment from Daryl Cates to either buy out or bury players. I mean, the, 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 half of the job of the new GM is to dig, it, dig them out of what Peter Chiarelli did over the last few years, finding a way to either trade or – Barry Milan Lucic's contract, Chris Russell's contract. There are players there that simply are barely NHLers, and if there are NHLers, they're you know somebody who should be making six hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and not making six million. And whether they can do that or not, whether they can uh, develop their own version of Robida Island, I don't know. But I mean, Kev, that's the only way I see them being able to shed some of those players. Bring up some of their young guys, develop, and and be more streamlined over the next couple of years. Otherwise, you're just wasting the great years of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I I love Peter's suggestion of just folding the franchise. Laugh. <laughs> I know that's dire, Kevin. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's funny, but coming out of Peter's mouth, it's it's just, it's just totally hilarious. If you said that, Mike, I'd just roll my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but. It, it was just hilarious coming out of Peter. Uh, anyway, I, you know, I think these kind of situations, it's not one size fits all. Like, you know, like it doesn't, you know, you can't follow the um, Toronto uh, model because they were able to strip that down to the chassis. You know, you can't do that at, at, at Edmonton because you have two great players in Connor McDavid and Dreisel, and you wouldn't want to do that. And, you know, you want to, you know, you have a guy like, uh, Nugent Hopkins, who can play, you know, he's a legitimate NHL player. And I don't think it benefits the team to trade him away. So yeah. you keep him. I, I, what I would do if I was the new GM is, is I'd go in and just as Mike said, they have so many bad contracts. I'd get rid of those. That's, that's my rebuild. And, you know, I promote uh, Bouchard next season. I put him on defense. Um, you know, I decide which of these uh, two of these six defensemen I'm going to keep. And I start from there and then, um, you know, I let the chips fall where they may, but I, you know, I just don't think you can go in there and embrace, okay, we're going to do a, a, a complete rewrite of this, uh, program, not with the 
people they have there because I agree Mike you're right you know you you waste their years so I think you got to try to do the kind of change on the fly but more aggressively like you can't just tinker you got to go in and and as you said get rid of those contracts and I think that you know that's crucial and you know you bring in all the young guys and and uh you know try to build that way but uh you know, it's it's that's much harder to do it that way, but I think it's possible because of the players they have. And you know what? They might be able to attract like a free agent or two simply because they want to play with Connor McDavid. So that's true. Basically, when I was talking about bringing up Bakersfield, the Sabers did it out of the uh, out of the lockout. They brought up a line from Rochester. I think if you did that from Bakersfield and you said. This is our third line. We're not touching it. These guys have chemistry. They'll find the chemistry here. I think that would solve some problems for them. I really do. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would go for that. I like that idea. And just symbolic of you know sort of the dysfunction that has happened this year. Uh, they made a trade with Chicago, uh, Drake Kajula for Brandon Manning. Uh, now Kajula's out with a concussion right now, but he when he was playing with the Hawks, he was playing very well. Brandon Manning was a healthy scratch in Bakersfield in his la in the last AHL game. And he's got another year at over two million bucks. And they've got another year, Sam Gagne at over three million bucks. Now he's you know, he can be a contributor, but you know, that was the that was the better half of the Ryan Spooner deal for them. That, that's what I mean. You've got dead money on that on their mm -hmm. on their cap, and if they're if they are going to be able to attract free agents, they need as much flexibility on the cap to be able to take advantage of players wanting to go there. Um, the other the, the other game, and we'll touch a little bit on the Rangers and Canucks, but the other game which I watched from beginning to end, in spite of the horror uh, at the beginning of it, was the was the Leafs and the Hawks. And there, there should be a lot of concern in, in Toronto right now. I don't know, I'm going to write something a, a little later on for, for Hockey Buzz uh, about, the, about the Leafs, about their Jekyll and Hyde nature, especially at the beginning of games, Kev. They, I mean, last night they fell behind 5 nothing, came back and got to within 5-4 and almost tied the game late in regulation. But they were booed off the ice after the first period, allowing four goals to the Hawks. They were not in it at all. Freddie Anderson was chased for the second game in a row. I mean, it's not just uh, – it was it was lethargic. It was not just they were being outskated or out-hustled by a team that was playing better. The Leafs for the second game in a row came out comatose and did not start playing, and this was admitted by Austin Matthews and a couple other players after the game, did not start playing until the second period. And this has been a trend all year. Slow starts, and they make up with it with, the, with their powerhouse offense. But the problem is when you get to the playoffs, you can't do that. That's a losing formula. Yeah, that is. And I, I wonder if this has become a greater problem even than their defensive deficiencies. Like um, Because, you know, what makes the – the leaves dangerous is their their offense and it just didn't get going and it hasn't gotten going um and early going and now that's become you know if effort whenever you see effort becoming a problem that's the greatest problem of all and that's what it seems uh -huh. like. like they didn't even the last two games they you know, they just looked ridiculous and against yeah, um, no defense the goalie is just left out hung out to dry well, I, I saw someone on Twitter pointed this out. What's more, more distressing is it was in two different kinds of teams. They One great team in the Tampa Bay Lightning and yep. another team that isn't even in the playoffs, and yet they couldn't rise up for either team. Yeah. Uh, 
So, and, I mean, and granted that you know that they have injuries right now, and there's some flu going on through through the locker room that happens during the year. But when your fourth line, which has been a problem for most of the year, and they've been shuffling players in and out, when it goes minus three in seven minutes of ice time for the entire game, and give you know was on the ice for the winning goal, you know that's a problem. Uh, your type, your uh, veteran on your top defensive pair, Ron Hainsey, was minus three and completely schooled on a couple plays. Um, you know, the thing is, it's like it's tough to unbury yourself, Peter, when you're down five nothing. I like, I almost don't care about the rally in the third period and them showing, you know, the the, the fortitude to come back and you know, just, I mean. The, the the part of the game that you have to focus on if you're from a, from a leaf perspective is you were you got down five nothing to the Hawks and showed no pulse until it was to the point of almost until embarrassment. score took over right until 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 uh, Colin Delia had to come into the game because Corey Crawford had the flu and Colin Delia looked like he should be playing in Rockford right now and they scored goals on him yeah uh, you know the Leafs had 30 shots in the third period that's all fine and good but you're down five nothing so it sort so of minimizes. Corey Crawford's in that and the how many goals did they score in the third all of them all four they scored they scored three of the four three of the four so Crawford's in net maybe they score one of the one out of three. Maybe, you know, right? Who knows? Um, yeah. Like, there's times like this where teams just come out flat. And I guess if they hadn't, if they hadn't been taken to the woodshed by Tampa Bay, you, Leafs fans would probably say, okay, it's just one of those nights. The reason why I think you can still say it's one of those nights is Tampa Bay takes everyone to the woodshed. It's not a fair measuring stick right now. Sure. They're that good, and so you sort of have to throw that one away. That like that's your toss away. Okay, you tried, it didn't work. That's Tampa Bay. Now you come to Chicago. Here's the other reason I don't think you panic. Chicago's actually good. They're and they're playing pretty good hockey. And you know the demise of Jonathan Taze has certainly been uh, exaggerated. Sure. Patrick Kane is second in the NHL in scoring the last time I checked. And they Stan Bowen seems to be scooping up these players from every other idiot GM out there who can't seem to hold on to them mm -hmm. and find realizing he's got enough good quality around them and 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 people in that organization that he's finding value. And, and, and go ahead. No, I was just saying, I was just going to ask to ask Russ about this. And Alex DeBrinket scores his thirty eighth goal of the of the year yesterday. Yeah. Last. and of course, um, I, I was having a little bit of a back and forth, and not not of any kind of mean spirited nature. But you know, Igor Korshkov's name has come up. The Russian kid oh, yeah. who was drafted in in the at the first pick in the twenty sixteen draft. And if you remember. It was the first pick that was on the Saturday. They had an entire overnight to decide who yeah. they were going to pick. And you and I were talking about Debrinket before yeah. in the first round, didn't get picked. Yeah. Carter Hart was there. Taylor yeah. Radish was there. A yeah. number of uh, Sam Gerard was there. Yeah. And they yeah. take an, obsc an obscure 19-year-old big Russian who had a big world junior and I mean, I under you know we'll never know what Mark Hunter was thinking at that point, but he knew who Alex DeBrinket was. He oh, knew yeah. he was a fifty goal scorer in, in the OHL, and I look at what he's doing for uh, Chicago along with his junior line mate Dylan Strome, who they got in a deal with Arizona, and I'm like, 
Stan Bowman, for all of his foibles, for all of his faults over the last couple of years, for signing Brent Seabrook for all the all of the problems that the Hawks are having, he's made he's turned them around because of a one draft pick and one pretty good trade. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, even John Chica was asked on the midday show today what was wrong with Stroman. He couldn't answer it. And I don't think there was anything wrong with Strom. I think Strom just needed to gain confidence and just some – he basically just needed to play with somebody for a long period of time that he could gain some continuity with. And he had instant continuity with, with the Brinkett from before, and it worked. They – what really what Arizona maybe should have done was brought somebody in that – that was used to playing with Strom to try and do that. And, and Chica never did that. That's probably something that, you know, if you got him, got him by himself off the record, he might admit to. Look. The other thing, one second, the, yeah. about the Leafs is the most distressing thing for me about the Leafs is, and this is why I can't make Morgan Riley captain, the last two games, a 21-year-old Austin Matthews has to basically come out and tell the media that his team's not showing up to work. Right. And that's embarrassing for the coach. That's embarrassing for veterans on that team. It, the fact that he has to do it at the age of 21 is, is, is pretty bad. Yeah, but you know, you know what? And, Kevin, you can attest to this. Austin Matthews, I mean, I don't think they have to groom him to be a future captain. I think he is a. I think he is basically a natural leader. And he is taking it upon himself, as Russ said, especially on Monday. He basically said, you know, we quit. Yeah. And, you know – you, Austin Matthews can say that because he hasn't quit. I mean, he's right. struggled. He's had some injury problems, but he was the best. He was the best leaf on the ice yesterday. He just needs his teammates to come around and do the same damn thing. Yeah, and I think it's been part of his DNA for a long time that uh, um, you know, and the expectation. I think people, when he was anointed as the next great uh, offensive player coming up, I think. He, he also was anointed as a guy that was going to be able to carry a team, and I think he's just taking it upon himself. I remember I I end up going uh, every year to the U.S. National Development Program, and I'm part of a media group that does uh, media training uh, with the players. We come in and we give them sort of a taste of what it's like to be interviewed. And, you know, when he was 16, he was terrible. Uh, just a terrible interview. I did the interview with him. Uh, he struggled, uh, and he's just come so far. And I think a lot of that is the fact that he's been prepared. He's been prepared to um, realize that, you know, part of being a star at the NHL level is doing exactly what he's doing, which is right. to rise up in the uh, in the dressing room. Um, so, um, you know, I'm not surprised that he, he's he's doing that on and off the ice. Yeah, and uh, he 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 was a little like I, I covered the, the the Leafs at the first rookie development camp uh, after he was drafted, and you know it, he he was still a little rougher on the edges in terms of handling the media. He's gotten very good at it. He he has to in, in Toronto. You deal with them every day, and uh, I, I think I think he will be captain eventually. And if not, you know maybe they just go without a captain. And some people think that that's meaningless. I think a team needs a leader. And, and, and I think Matthews can, can be that, but I just, just, you know, I mean, right now I know that that Babcock is taking a lot of hits right now because of how he's handled lines and things of that nature. And I have to say this, cause I was, I was subject to watching the, the broadcast on NBCSN and I, 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 I love uh, doc Emmerich. And, but when that game was getting down four, nothing, five, nothing, Jeremy Roenick's going down the Mitch Marner offer sheet. Uh, uh, and it's like, I mean, okay, 
can you please be prepared to talk about something other than, you know, pie in the sky crap that's probably not happening because that's not happening. It's, I, I, you know, like, well, I mean, the yeah. Leafs will try their damnedest to make sure that, that, that he doesn't go anywhere. They would match any offer and they would trade somebody else the same way Nashville did. It wouldn't even be a question. Yeah, I know. I know there's going to be, I know more than likely with the, with the pool of restricted free agents that is going to be out there next summer, Kev, we know that there's going to be one or two. I seriously doubt that Mitch Marner will be one of them. Would would he attract the attention of other teams? Sure, but the Leafs are going to pay him, and he's from Toronto, and he love he's 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 a lifelong Maple Leaf fan. Now, if they lowball him, then I'm sure, you know, he'll he'll explore his options. But I don't think Kyle Dubas is going to lowball Mitch Marner. Yeah, I I don't know that there's going to be one or two offer uh, sheets. I okay, you know, I I just think, I mean, is it more uh, likely or more possible than it's been in the past, yes, um, because there's a lot of them. But, you know, the one thing that's always lost about offer sheets, and, you know, I got this from a general manager years ago, and I always pass it along, and usually when I send it off to, like, a reader, um, they go, yeah, I never thought about that. You know, in order to make a offer that another team won't want to match, you got to totally disrupt your own salary structure in order to do that. Right. Not only do you make an onerous on them to match, but you make an onerous on you um, if if they do if they don't match. And you know it's totally disruptive if you if you offer someone and you pay them more than it's worth. The players on your team, you know, there's rebellion. They want more now. You know, if you're going to pay him that, so it, it, the system is not a good. Uh, fit for uh, getting players uh, to move. Um, right. And then there's the other thing is, and Russ is right on, you know, Toronto's just going to match. And, right. you know, Marner isn't the guy they would lose. You know, they would, you know, right. they, they, they would probably trade Nealander or move yeah. somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They would move, they would move some other guy. So, and most, you know, like it's like, uh, you know, David Poyle matched and, oh, right. uh, you know, in Nashville because, you know, once you don't, match then you're opening yourself up to to be a victim and all that so i'm not sure that there's going to be uh any there might be who knows i mean tampa looks pretty vulnerable too um because yeah, they've yeah. got a lot of guys tied up but you know if you what are you going to do offer Braden point ten million dollars <laughs> is that is that is that, is that your plan right, right. That's a bad plan what that is so yeah, yeah. You know, so i mean because that's a big thing you know i live in michigan and i've heard that you know over from fans what 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 yeah, they should just go out and offer Braden, you know, point ten million dollars, and you know they're not going to be able to match. They're not going to be able to deal with that. Yeah, well, then you're going to go in and tell Dylan Larkin, yeah, by the way, you know, we gave you that short-term deal, and uh, but you know we're bringing Braden Point in for, and I know it's your team, Dylan, but uh, but you know I hope you understand. Nah, it doesn't work like that. You know what, Michigan, listen, listen to Hockey Prospect Radio. We had Tyler. And we went through just how the Red Wings youngsters are developing and how many there are. And you know what? It's a nice little pool they have going there, especially from last year's draft. Yeah, Valeno was a great pick at the end of the first round. Yeah. It'd be interesting. What did Wright have to say about uh, whether they uh, whether Valeno is going to be an offensive contributor or not? I mean, I, know, I, I think he thinks he's going to be there. Yeah. They, they're trying to round out his game, but they know he can contribute offensively, and he's a big, strong kid. Yeah. They want to round out his game. That's what I took out of that. 
well, that, I, found- that, that, I mean, that's the big, you know, question and, you know, in, in the, the Detroit area. And I've heard that from a lot of people within the organization is, is how much will he score? Like they know he's a good hockey player. Um, no, I think if you bring him up eventually to the NHL level, I think he'll be a 45, 50 point guy. I do. But I think he has to get strong on the other part of his game to do it. Remember Mantha, when he came up, he had no idea how to play defense, none. And now look at the player he is. And what I, what I found interesting watching one of the Detroit games recently is that they have moved Athenasiu to the middle. So they have Larkin at one center position and Athenasiu at another. And, I mean, I've always liked him in terms of his skill set because he's one of the fastest guys in the league. I, I, sometimes I question his ability to finish. But yeah. with, that kind of, with that kind of speed and him and Larkin, that's a one-two that might be really good in a year or two. Well, I mean, I think it's good now. That's what they're focusing on is speed. And yeah. Zadine is fast, and like you said, those guys are fast, and Valeno is fast. And so they've been drafting speed for two or three years now, and it's eventually going to show. And when it shows, it's going to show very well for them. It will. Yeah. Um, all right, let's touch on the, the one other game, and this wasn't this game wasn't notable for, for playoff ramifications, but for uh, extracurricular activities. Now, Russ, I watched the uh, Russell-Brandon-Lemuke uh, collision or connect, yeah. you know, what I didn't see a butt end and I didn't see a head butt because he no. was, but that's what they said was he, he got the five in the game for was head butting. Yeah. They went for the reputation on that, but yeah. what was happening was he was already falling into Lemieux. Lemieux definitely pushed him. Don't get me wrong, but that was, a, the guy was already falling. Like he was, he was in a bad position already. There was no way Lemieux could have done anything about it. The call was ridiculous. I, yeah. I nobody could understand that call. Like you wouldn't even see that call in a, in a pee wee or a midget game, honestly. Yeah, and, and let, me, let me just say, if he actually had head butted uh, a Roussel, he would have received as many bouquets of flowers yeah. and candies from other NHL players than at any time in history, because Roussel is widely hated as as a as a premier rat in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other one, and th- I'm not so, not as concerned with the incident now chris Kreider got a five thousand dollar fine for elbowing uh petterson but i'm concerned about the fact that petterson what is this the fourth or fifth time he's been injured this year i mean he's gonna well, win right- back out at the end of the period he was back out on the bench the worry i have is that when you have a great player in the league now is this the answer you target him is that just you know because i've heard you talk about it mike kidding around but this is like the fourth time he's been targeted. And look, Chris Kreider is ridiculously strong. We've talked about it on this show. You saw right. the follow through to make sure <laughs> that he connected. And he did. He made sure he connected to the point where he was bloodied. And and then so Kreider, you know, got what he got. He probably should have gotten at least a game suspension. A five thousand dollar fine for an elbow is not really a deterrent, especially yeah. when this kid is going to be one of the stars in your league. Like basically. This what this fine tells me is if you're a young kid in this league, you better wear like a college mask because everybody's going to be gunning for you if you could score forty goals. Now, Kev, I know I'm, I'm I know I'm going back to my youth and my old, sort of old hockey or old world mentality here, but I know that Sidney Crosby, when Ryan Reeves was in Pittsburgh, said he was the play, he had played with the most comfort that he had in his entire career. 
all of a sudden, like recently, uh, Ken Hitchcock has been playing Zach Cassian with Connor McDavid. Now, Cassian isn't a finisher, but he is a big guy and he is a deterrent. Are we getting back to the days of Dave Semenko playing with Gretzky? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't think so, but I, I, I've noted that too, that there seems to be a lot more talk about protecting guys than we've had in the past. And, um, you know, I don't think we'll ever go on back to the days of the four minute enforcer, but, um, you know, but I, you know, I, you know, will we have guys that, yeah, maybe, maybe we're headed in that direction. So I guess a lot would depend as we move moving forward. I, you know, I wanted to bring up too, before I forget, um, yeah. I want to get Mike's take on it. What's your thought on, you know, we've seen some top players now getting suspensions. And I know that's always been your pet peeve about that. And now Jack Eichel obviously um, got a, a, you know, a two game suspension, um, you know, and we've had other stars as well. I'm, I'm, pleased in the sense that I think that it's it, it's reflecting maybe a, an equaling of of the play of a play the playing field and you know a little bit less of the star treatment now you know we've seen Malkin do something this year and if he had connected on that wild swing would he have been suspended as much as somebody like Tom Wilson probably not I think I still think that you know there there's there is a scale in terms of the star player as compared to a, a player who has a, a record and the star player may get less. I mean, I don't think Eichel should have gotten any more than two games. I don't think that Voracek should have, I don't, I don't know if Voracek should have been suspended at all. Maybe, you know, Gary Bettman. Upheld one it. Game. I felt like one game he should have gotten. Yeah. But I mean, they're, they're not, they're not completely getting away with it, but like I've seen Alex Ovechkin do things where I think he, I think he should have been suspended for five games and he didn't even get fined. Wait, a $5,000 fine is getting away with it in my book. Sorry. Yeah. Look, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's back up here. here Whether it's, you got to see the forest from the trees. And to the point uh, that we were making of having this old school way where you got to have someone ride with you on the wing to keep players safe, this doesn't need to happen if the NHL enforces rules and refs call penalties. Right. The officiating in the NHL isn't just abysmal. It's beyond it's beyond atrocious. These, these are guys who are literally, you remember in the original star Wars when, when, um, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is trying to teach Luke Skywalker about the force and he gives him a lightsaber and he, yeah. he puts on this blind mask. Mm -hmm. That's what the NHL refs are using when they're out there. They are, <laughs> they're not only missing things, they're missing things in front of their face and they don't care. There is no accountability. And one of the all-time worst refs, Stephen Walcom, has a has an a level of authority over this gong show that it, don't even debate me on Walcom. Walcom was awful. I don't want to <laughs> hear it. Don't at me. Don't don't just don't. He was awful. And it trickles up to the Department of Player Safety. The problem is, you know why you can't argue this? Is because there's no evidence that says they get it right. The evidence of getting it right is so infrequent as opposed to the evidence that they get it wrong. Well, and this is why you have these problems. The NHL has no reason to correct itself because there's no one in there who actually understands what the problem is. Like they're, they're the Edmonton Oilers of league commissions. Like it's brutal. <laughs> and this I'm, is why. I'm not going to take Peter on, on that one, I, but I, I want to sort of ask Kevin this because I said this yesterday and I thought it was laughable. The, 
the appeal of the suspension of Voracek that goes to Gary Bettman. Um, what were the odds of him changing the ruling? Because I thought it was about a billion to one. There's no way he's yeah. going to cross, and not because he's afraid of George Peros, but there's no way he's going to cross his own department of player safety when they've determined it's a suspension and say, oh, I think it's less. I I'll give him a game. Yeah, it, well, it's happened. I mean, obviously we know that, that he has changed it in the past. But I, I agree with you. Like, I thought that that whole system is is always flawed. Like, you know, the appellate should not be to – the guy that basically signs, you know, Peros's check. Like that, Just, that, Justice that, Roberts. <laughs> yeah, like it's just absurd that that, that is the uh, uh, the situation. I'm, I'm surprised that that, you know, has been allowed, you know, under the CBA. You know, you got to think that will change next time. There should be some, you know, neutral party that reviews these. You know, they do for everything else. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised at that to be honest i think kev i think the reason they don't have that is because there are no real true written guidelines again when when these things occur and we see the explanations the explanations are not consistent with the same kind of hits that we see and so that you know that's just like they need a standardization of what these infractions are, and then you could have a third party do it. Right so, now, I don't think a third party would take it so on. One of the things that you deal with with organizations is, is you deal with things like policies, processes, procedures. Your policy yeah. is your 30,000 foot view. The policy of the Department of Player Safety is we aim to create a safe environment for our players to play without injury and blah, 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 care of their well being and health. That's what governs you. So that gives you the insight as to how you can look at things. So that's fine. Now, what do you do on a granular level? Well, they have no granular level. Oh, let's go look at the rule book. Well, the rule book says if you've got half a second between contact, it's made up of and and guess and and look at the look at the retreads. The NHL has run through their front office to do the stuff. And George Peros, there's a upstanding man. You know. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, what's his, like, look at the track record. So would you, like, l let me, l let me, l let's phrase it in another way. George Peros is retired from the NHL. Look at what he did as his job. Look at what he did. You know what, George, you know what I think you're really qualified to do? You're a you're qualified to be a police officer. That's what you're qualified to do. That's essentially what they just hired him to do, to be the commissioner of the NHL police on player safety. Yet he was a guy whose job was to make things unsafe. It's completely moronic. Right. I always say they should have a lady bing guy in there instead of the enforcer in there. Well, that I mean that that's been the trend yeah. of the Department of Player Safety. And Brendan Shanahan, Brian, man, Brian Burke was a former minor league enforcer. Stefan Cantal wasn't exactly a wilting flower. So, you know, I mean, I, I think I think what they're thinking is is that these guys they they know where where the rules have been broke or are broken because they've broken them right they're thinking like this is when the fbi hires a hacker to to fix a problem or you know to hack another government right but for this it's not working you they know who you hire for this you hire paul korea that's who you right. hire right like it's you hire someone who's been a victim of these right. brainless assaults and stuff I have pat lafontaine somebody like that yeah, always they're, been they're, with the arena but when peros was hired there was somebody who was in the mix that was more of a skill guy and not a not a, a former enforcer or a former aggressive guy so you know 
It was thought that want, way. I just want there to be guidelines. As a media member, I want to be able to look at those guidelines, look at the hit, and be able to write about, hey, this is what I expect will happen. Because every time we guess what's going to happen, we're wrong because they don't know what's going to happen. You know, the, 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 you know what the true mark of a, of, a, of a poor organization is one that won't put anything in writing. Because then it's really hard to challenge you on it. Right. They're going by the rule book, which again, the rule book needs updating. Oh, the rule book, whatever. The rule book is basically like it's like it's it's a suggestions on how maybe you could enforce the the flow of the game if you were to take take off your um, Obi Wan Kenobi helmet. Like yeah. it, it's just it's unreal. I mean, just remember. Like the NFL rules have gotten so bad to the point that it's impossible to fumble in the end zone. Yeah. I don't want that to happen in hockey either. No, but they're but I was, towards it, Russ. I was I was gonna bring I was gonna bring that up in terms of like defining illegality. I mean, basically, remember Goodell until the the Ray Rice situation, there was no guidelines in terms of suspensions for certain things, and they they said that he was sort of biased and in one way or the other and they had to they, they almost took away the suspension power from their own commissioner because of how badly it was handled so i mean if until something like that happens in the nhl you're probably going to have gary bettman ruling with an iron fist now ross you wanted to bring up something uh in the chat of the, the the oh well i mean gila touche brought up he wanted to hear peter's take on the sharks jets game from tuesday would love the would love that matchup as a WCF. I don't know what WCF means, but Western Conference. Okay. Okay. Entertaining game. And this is the second time the Sharks have come in under 10 seconds and yeah. stolen a victory, stolen stolen a tie. Or, or you know stolen a point. Jets. Yeah. I, I, um, I was I, I was thinking of you, Peter, when I saw Nick Ehlers walk over the blue line and throw that cross ice pass. And I'm like, what are so, you doing? I'm literally, I, I had, I actually couldn't, I was kind of busy yesterday and I didn't want to make time because I was super angry about things in this. And, and I'm writing about this right now. There was so much wrong in the last 15 seconds for the Jets that you don't even know where to place it all. Because it wasn't like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. It was everything you can do wrong, you did wrong. And what the most stunning thing about it, in my opinion, is Paul Maurice in his post-game um, comment said, well, there were five guys on the ice. They should be able to figure out that play. That's all he had to say. Actually, Paul, it's a lot more complex than that because it speaks volumes to what's gone wrong with the Jets since Christmas, which is that they're barely over a, averaging a point per game in games played. Their record since Christmas is atrocious, and they're inching back to exactly what Paul Maurice has been his entire career, a 500 coach. And he is literally coaching this team into mediocrity. Shifley has scored two power play goals in the last 37 games. Um, Jacob Truba has been terrible. And then Ehlers with that cross ice pass has been, it, it was like, what were you thinking? But if you look at it, where's Myers on that play? He's actually down low. So he's left the forward up covering the point, which is Connor. Well, if anyone who's seen Kyle Connor play defense, it was brutal. And on a two on one, what not only so Kulikov's hustling his butt back and that's its own issue uh, altogether is why you have Kulikov and Myers out there in the last minute of the last 20 seconds of the game. And Connor 
with a guy in front of him, you know what he does? I've seen the freeze frame. Of he actually lets up and turns around and looks behind him. The puck and the player are in front of him. And the wishes Pavelski, who scores his 37th of the year to win with 3.6 seconds left. It was the most stunning display of, of everything wrong that could go wrong. And, and they chose to go wrong. And this is what's going on with the Jets and why in a seven-game series against the Sharks, sure, I'd, if they can even get to the Western Conference Final, that'd be amazing. But the Sharks are winning that in five games if the Jets get lucky. That's I, how bad they're playing. I think the series that I'm looking forward to in the West that I hope happens is Calgary-Vegas. Because yeah. it, Matthew Kachuk, the, the thing that happened in the last Calgary-Vegas game with Matthew Kachuk, with Marc-Andre Fleury, with Ryan Reeves, that is going to be a bloodbath. I mean, they're, they're two they're two good teams, and you know, I think you know, as I've said before, I think the goaltending battle that's the problem, right? Well, I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's like I, I think I think Vegas has the has the uh, the advantage because they have Flurry, and yeah. I'm I still don't have any confidence in Riddich and Smith to win that series. But I mean, I think it'll be a bloodbath. It'll be, it'll be great. It'll be really By the way, Flurry, Flurry sent a uh, video message to Evgeny Malkin for his thousandth point and said, he doesn't understand how he got to a thousand points. He never shot on practice. He never scored on him in practice. He doesn't know where the scoring came from. <laughs> and you're not one of the top 100 of all time. Yeah. 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 It was um, really funny though. <laughs> it was good. Some, some news and notes and, if we have a question or two in the chat, we'll answer those before we end the show. Uh, Kevin had to drop off. He had an interview to to, uh, to take care of. So I decided to move to April 9th. That is Tuesday. That is the day before the beginning of the playoffs. Um, Russ, from my memory, they would they did it around the middle of the first round. Or I broke up. I couldn't hear it. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the draft lottery was moved up to April 9th. Uh, the Tuesday before the first round of the playoffs, and from my memory, they did the draft lottery in the middle of the first round, or like after the first round of the playoffs. So no, they just I, moved I it. Thought up. it was just before it began, like the day before. No, no, no. Oh. I, I know, I know for a fact that it was like April eighteenth or something. Okay. Like that. I do like the fact that it's before the playoffs. I do. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you why. Because there's a lot of fans of teams that aren't in the playoffs, and at least, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it was like in the middle of the playoffs or something. But you know what? Your season's over. Give me something to look forward to, and right. now I can go ahead and start looking forward to the draft because I'm still going to watch the playoffs if I'm a fan of the NHL, but this is like your last chance to engage, you know, a Philadelphia Flyers fan before they decide they might shut their TV off until June. Plus, I think it gives the teams that are in the lottery – you know, they'll know for sure where they're drafting right. earlier than before. So they can maybe if there's any formulation, sorry, if there's any formulation of a plan, they have an extra couple weeks to say, okay, we're drafting sixth. So this is where we have to concentrate on. So I think that's that's good. Um, we mentioned yesterday the injury to Thomas Shabbat, who is probably out for the rest of the season. Well, the Ottawa Senators are announced this morning. They are planning to call up Eric Brandstrom. And he will play in his first NHL game, the next game that the Ottawa plays. I think it's tonight or tomorrow. Um, Russ, he's had a good year in the American Hockey League. Um, I think he's going to be on the Senators next year. Uh, you know, they're not going to burn a year of his entry level by playing him ten games. So, uh, what do you think of this? No, I think it's good. Let him get marketed to the fans now. Let him 
get that taste that he's been waiting for. And yeah, then, then send him back down and, you know, let him play four or five games. That's fine. And then send him back down and wait till next year. But you know, he's going to be a big part of the team and don't put him up on the top pairing right away. Work him in slow. Right. No, I'm all fa- I'm all for this. I think this is a great thing for Brian Jones. Um, I saw this little note about from that Alex Ovechkin mentioned. Um, he was talking. Uh, I don't know who who he is being interviewed by, but he was talking about that he's only played for two teams in his life: Moscow Dynamo and and the Caps. And he he says I don't like to change teams much. Meaning, because uh, they were ta- asking him about a new contract. His contract is up uh, after the 2021 season. So he's got two more years. He's at 653 career goals. And, you know, he's 240 behind Gretzky. So some people, you know, people think he's the only one who has a chance to catch him. That would mean scoring, scoring at the rate of 50 goals in the next five seasons, which he's not going to. But, you know, he could score 30 to 35, and if he stuck around until he was in his late 30s, he might be able to break Gretzky's record. But the question is whether that means enough to him to stay around in the NHL another four or five years. I mean, Peter, he's won his cup. I don't know whether this is going to be like sort of a Pavel Datsuk thing where, you know, he's going to go back and play in Russia for the last couple of years. I, I wonder if he would. Maybe he would. He seems to very be very pro-Russia and sort of his personal views and stuff. Um, I, I think one thing that, you know, you, you can debate it all you want, but when you look at the NHL today and then you look at what Gretzky and, and Lemieux did, it's pretty hard to argue that um, Alex Ovechkin isn't in that pantheon of the top three greatest goal scorers of all time. I, I think you, you, you'd be very naive in thinking what he's done in this day and age in the NHL isn't equivalent to what Gretzky was doing. Um, they're two different worlds and Ovechkin has excelled at a way that is quite incredible. So, you know, he's cemented his legacy as far as I'm concerned in, in, in the hockey greats when it comes to what he does well as a hockey player, what he certainly, you know, I, I don't think Ovechkin's driven for things like records. I think he's driven for things like success. He's found success with a cup. And if there was opportunities to keep winning, I think he'd like to do that. And if he scores a bucket load of goals along the way, that's fine. But I, I don't, until that, if that becomes unattainable for him in Washington, he'll probably make a decision like Datsuk of whether he wants to keep playing in that organization or go back and just enjoy some things in life. And I think we all know that Veshkin does have a lust for life. He also has a very, appreciation, very strong appreciation for his home country. So to your point, Mike, he could pull a Datsuk, but I think for different reasons, maybe. But um, you know, given his na- his uh, his friendship and, and and understanding with Ted Leonis and stuff, I I could see him being a capital for life as long as Ted wants to pay him, and as long as it makes sense for him to be there too. It'll be interesting to see what happens in two years. Okay, um, we'll take one or two questions from the chat, but let me just finish on this. I just saw this from Arthur Staple, who wrote an article in The Athletic talking about the potential availability of Nick Letty over the summer based on the fact that the Islanders, what he calls, um, has a core four of young defensemen, referring to Ryan Pulak, Adam Pellick, uh, Devin Taves, and Scott Mayfield. Um, I mean, I'm not that 
I mean, I haven't watched the Islanders as much as I watch other teams. So I'm not, I mean, I think Pulak is a really good defenseman with a great shot. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not as, I don't, I know Taves has made a lot of strides this year. I'm not that impressed with Pelican and with Mayfield. I think they're, they're bottom pairing. really well. Actually, I think Mayfield yeah. had a heck of a season, to be honest. But I mean, I think more than anything, you know, it's, and I don't think it's going to be possible for them to find somebody to take Johnny Boychuk's contract because yeah. I think he's three years for another six million. But Letty, is still he's an inning he's an innings eater he's a he's a minutes eater uh and yeah he can still generate offense so for a lot of teams starve for blue line help i think they could move him and if they're looking i don't know to, why they would i i don't know why they would that's the thing yeah. but if they if they think that they have enough there plus with with no adoption coming along maybe in the next year or two maybe they think they can afford to jettison letty and in favor of using his money to spend on guys like barzel and uh Andres they spend on top of that anyhow they have loads of money they don't need to move nick letty to move a contract i wouldn't do it i really wouldn't okay so, um yeah chat so here's a good question uh it comes from adam if you, he said with the addition of brandon montour to you know risto and Darlene, how does Buffalo's defense project for next year? Again, I would buy out Bogosian. Yeah, and I, I checked into this. Bogosian's buyout would be a little less than $2 million on the cap next year and $2 million the year after that. So you open up almost $4 million in cap space for next year, and and uh, all you're doing is spreading the cap hit out an extra year, which they're going to have players like uh, Connor Sheary and Sabotka dropping off after next year. So right. it's worth it to do that. I would do that, and then even though Scandella's had a horrible year, I would let Scandella, Hunwick, Palut, and I would bring up Will Borgen and let them rotate around those other positions, and yeah. at least you'll get more speed, more youth, more of everything. Yes, there'll still be some issues, but you won't have a guy who literally can't move from one side of the net to the other like Bogosia. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think their top four should be Darlene, Ristolainen, McCabe, and Montour. Yeah, um, yeah. and then you can fill in, uh, yeah. on the five, six, seven. Um, I, but what, where, where the Sabres really need to, to concentrate is other than Eichel, Skinner and Reinhardt, who is scoring? Not mo not many people. That's, a, I think they need to, well, they could bring over Marcus Davidson and, and I would do it. And and they have Victor Olsen down in in, in Rochester, but I'm but I'm ta talking about you. You're opening up over ten million dollars in cap space just with the expiring contracts of Pominville and Molson, and you maybe need need to spend most of that to sign Skinner, but you need to get some secondary offense in there either via trade or free agency. I mean, again, Davidson over in Jew Garden is twenty seven points in fifty one games, and he's twenty years old. That's, that's pretty really good. good. Yeah, I'd bring him over and I'd see what I could get. Maybe Asplin comes up and you get a little bit of offense out of him. Yeah, he's been he's been okay with Rochester in terms of points. They've called up Alex Nealander. That's the other option. Yeah. So I mean, but they've got so many Sabotkas, Johan Larsons, Zemgus Gergensons. They have to really, if they if they're not if they're not improve, if they can't improve on what they are, you have to find a way to clear them out. Well, you would hope that you know Rodriguez would move out of the two C. Middlestat would would at least be the one or the two C, and then well, Rodriguez has been one of the success stories, right? But I still don't want him on the second line. No, no, he's he'd be great in the third or the fourth line, yeah. right? If you could do that, then you know your team's gotten better. I guess that's my point. 
Right. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, one or two more. One or two more. One or two more. Tomorrow we'll be doing the show probably at one. I will be up in Toronto covering the Leafs and Flyers game. Um, if but we, you know, it, it's possible that we may not do a show. Uh, but uh, we'll keep you up abreast of that uh, via Twitter uh, during during the morning. I don't see another question. Okay. All right. We'll finish there then. Yeah. Uh, okay. For Kevin Allen, for Peter Tessier, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.